No. Walk off three run digger. Stop it. <laughs> Walk off three run shot. Oh my god. Meg, he's the best player in baseball. Hello and welcome to episode 2048 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Relly of Fangraphs, and joining me for the last time before Ben comes back is a guest co-host. I'm joined by Craig Goldstein, editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus. Craig, how are you? I'm good. I thought I, I thought for a half second there, it was just for the last time. I'm not, I, I didn't know I wasn't coming back ever. I got halfway through it and I was like, oh, I got to... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I gotta, I gotta take a an exit and then get back on the freeway and and chart a new course because that made it sound like we were not going to be friends anymore, which is ridiculous. I mean, hey, it's your podcast. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm at your mercy here. I just I didn't know we hadn't <laughs> talked about that ahead of time. I thought, oh, okay, finding out ah, new information here. Like, you're like kind of rude to do it on mic. Um, maybe I'm just jealous of your title relative to mine. Uh, well, be, I think you can yeah. make it up. I don't know. I, I could. You know, most people, um, when I do like pod appearances or radio, they'll be like, Fangraphs, editor-in-chief. And I'm like, yeah, leave it in. I mean, if it if it helps at all, I can recount the story in which I was just introduced on, a, a I believe, a upstate New York radio station as Craig Rangoon, <laughs> editor-in-chief of Baseball <laughs> Prospectus. So. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, it was when my, my display name was Craig Rangoon. Yeah. And they they messaged me and yeah. like they they DM me and said like hey would you come on and I was like sure but they said Craig would you come yeah. on and I was like it's Craig by the way and so then they were like got it and I was like okay cool and then as I had to not laugh as yeah. they introduced me as Craig Rangoon how did you uh, pivot pivot out of that like oh I just went with it. I'm just Craig Rangoon to the people of upstate New York. So there's like a bunch of baseball fans in Syracuse being like, I mean, like, we didn't think that that was his name, but I guess we're going with it. Um, Yeah, pro tip to radio producers, like, it it, it is good to, like, engage with the Twitter for a second and be like, is this this person's actual name? Do they tweet ever? Like, the number of people I've heard about. I heard about this secondhand, like the number of people who will say when Eric does a radio hit, like, follow Eric on Twitter. And I'm like, you could do that and see no tweets at all. Push that follower account up. You know, yeah, sure. You're not getting not? anything out of it, but no, but like, you know, who, why not? Who, who does, who does it hurt really? So I just saw you, which was so yes. nice. We we were supposed to hang out at winter meetings after not seeing one another since 2019? 2019. Also winter meetings, yeah. I guess it was winter meetings, yeah. We had drinks at a hotel bar. It was nice. San Diego. Mm. And we were supposed to hang out in San Diego again, and then I got the flu. And I was like, I'd much rather be drinking with Craig than having the flu. But I did drink. Yeah, well, yeah. good. You know, someone should uh, like have a tipple while I was like spiking a, a fever that was concerningly high. Then we got to, you know, share some drinks at Jordan's wedding this past weekend, which was great. So fun. It was fantastic. Got to get to know Columbus a little bit. I mean, me more than you because you have children. I had never been. 
I'd never been either. It was nice. It was nice. It was nice. Hotel right across from a huge mall. I was like, this is, uh, we're like in the suburbs. Oh, yeah. Which like, I'm from Bethesda. That's not a, that's not judgment. That's, yeah. you know, I felt at home is what I'm saying. You're like, I know, I know these people. These are my people, you know, all the, all the suburban people. But then I was like, hey, you know, Ben's going to be in Sweden and uh, we come on the podcast and then this morning, I realized there there was very little baseball yesterday, um, just like a, a real dearth of new action. But I think we've come up with a good agenda. I think people are going to enjoy hearing you engage with your Dodgers in a way that doesn't involve um, Joe Kelly, like ruining your mood. So we're going to do a little Dodger talk because those Dodgers, Craig, I don't know if you know this, but like they've been... They've been really winning lately. In fact, to the exclusion of losing, at least for the last, <laughs> what, 11? 11 games? Yeah, this one goes to 11, as as they like to say. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a couple of recent promotions, because we have some big league promotions, one of which involves a top prospect and one of which involves a, a very recently drafted guy who plays for the Angels. And then uh, you're going to rant about the trade deadline. And then uh, we're going to answer some emails and do the future blasts, and then we're going to get out of here. So why don't we start with the Dodgers? Because, well, let me let me tell you what my impression of your impression of this team was around the trade deadline. Because my sense was that you were miserable, and... Even though the day before the deadline, the Dodgers were, well, they were off on the Monday, but the last, you know, the last going into deadline day, they were 59 and 45, right? So they were leading the NL West and you seemed miserable. You just (laughs) seemed like uh, you were not having a great time. And then, and then they traded for Joe Kelly and I was like... (laughs) Do the Dodgers time to mute Craig? I was like, do they hate him? Like, does is there a person <laughs> in their ops group who is just like, you know, we really got to stick it to this guy from Bethesda because um, he's getting, you know, he's getting too comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> despite my misery, yeah, right. Despite your misery, they were like, this is like a normal background level of misery for Craig. We got to up the the ante here a little bit. You know what'll do it? Joe Kelly and his tremendous stuff. So they traded for Joe Kelly, they brought in Lance Lynn, and then uh, they have since then lost one game. They have lost one game. They dropped a game to the Padres on Saturday, August 5th. That they were winning most of the game. I believe they were winning they were, into the eighth inning of that game. Yeah, and then they lost, but but for the the Sunday game against the Reds that they lost, this is the Sunday immediately before the deadline, and that... Uh, Saturday, August fifth game against the Padres. It's just been, it's just been a lot of winning for them. Yeah, I think I've been less unhappy during that time. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen you complain about that. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. So the context you you mentioned the Reds game. So they just had, I think, two home series against the Blue Jays and the Reds. Yes, and I think they lost yes. four of those six games. Yes, uh, they did. I believe they lost both those. They might have been a four-game series in there. I don't remember, but they lost both those series, and so I, I was pretty unhappy. I and this is all in the context of acknowledging that like this is a very good team. I think Mike Petriello just 
ran an article about Freddie Freeman and, and Mookie Betts possibly being like the best one, two in a lineup ever. Like the, as a fan, like I am extraordinarily blessed and, but my default mode is like, how can I be unhappy or, or like, what can I be unhappy about kind of thing? So I don't mean it. It's very, it's all very first world problems, but I also like what I've really loved about this team over the last, especially four years or so is how hard they have pushed to win the World Series or to to create like the best team possible and the 111 win Dodgers. I I really I spent a lot of time last year like it was it was tough to to see them that iteration of this team lose, but I really spent a lot of time appreciating how good it was. Like just to have a team that won that many games is is so rare and it was so cool. And this year, and I understand why, it's not surprising to me, but this year they took a step back from that model. And I don't think that they necessarily went in saying, let's be worse because none of it matters. I think they want to win the division. I think they want to have one of those first first round buys for the playoffs. I, I don't think they were just like, anything can happen. We're taking a step back to save money. I think they were trying to save money to you know, save money when they try and sign Shohei Otani next year if they do that. So I, I get that. There, there was a reasonable game plan. I don't actually take issue with the game plan, but I don't, I don't like teams intentionally being worse either. You know what I mean? And this team was in many ways. Like they, I, Gavin Lux got hurt and that's unfortunate, but like then they just said, yeah, we're going to do Miguel Rojas. Like we're not only did we acquire Miguel Rojas, we extended him for a year. That's right. I always I always forget that like this is this is not a, a one and done for them. They're like we want to no, be in he's... the Miguel Rojas business for a little while. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and look, I will say this, as soft factor as it is, like he really does appear to be like a tremendous clubhouse guy and maybe that's what they valued and I I know the whole 2020 thing, but like the players seem to value him in that role. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it's it's working out in that respect. It's all working out right now, especially in the middle of an 11-game win streak. But at that time, having lost four of six games to playoff contenders, I mean, the, the Blue Jays will, I guess they're both kind of right on the fringe right now, right? I guess yeah. it seemed like, okay, now you're playing good teams and you're kind of losing games to them. And, like, there are some very obvious issues with this team. I, I, I think the Lance Lynn acquisition meant a lot. It meant they could option Emmett Sheehan, who skipped AAA entirely. And and I thought he was, you know, pretty good given the context. But, you know, they needed to be better. They needed guys to to eat more innings. They they need they needed essentially Lance Lynn. I, I think what was just tough about their kind of deadline acquisitions was they acquired in in one way of looking at it four of the worst players in Major League Baseball. Right. <laughs> like I Yeah. It's it's yeah. overstating it and and yeah. I look I didn't think Lance Lynn was as bad as he had been. I didn't think Joe Kelly was as bad as he had been. Um and you could see why why there were reasons to think they'd be better, but you know, Ahmed Rosario can always hit lefties. He was still doing that despite I think baseball reference were had him at a replacement level guy. We had him around a win, which is not it's still not good. And and, and Enrique Hernandez was was I mean just legitimately bad from every kind of viewpoint and they've I think benefited mostly from a lot of regression Enrique they they maybe have worked he's talked about changing his swing and and trying to un 
undo some bad habits that he had gotten into. So maybe you give him some credit there. I think a lot of this is just regression, and they filled some right holes. But look, they they knew that they, they wanted to get Eduardo Rodriguez even after these acquisitions. I don't think they would tell you, we think this is this is a complete team as it is. Uh, it's operating that way right now, but they also, right after those two series, what started this win streak was a series against Oakland. I don't know if you have the schedule, but it, it, it was a I very do. soft schedule. It's like Oakland, uh, yes. Colorado. Yeah, so they had three. They had three against Oakland starting the day of the deadline. Then they had a four-game set against San Diego in San Diego. Mm. Okay. They had two games in Arizona, and then yeah. four in Colorado, and or excuse me, four against Colorado in LA. In, so they didn't LA, have yeah. to, you know, worry about how weird course can be sometimes. And then, um, then this most recent set was against Milwaukee. And and they, the Arizona two game set like Arizona was I think in a playoff spot at that time, uh, but like we're in their free. Yeah, thing. yeah. So it's not I been mean, they, it hasn't yeah. been great for them lately. Ooh. Yeah, and it just has not been the the toughest of schedules. Which no. look, you need to beat the teams you right. need to beat. I, I, right. I I'm not trying to take anything away from them there, but you know Je- uh, Jeffrey Paternostro, who you know uh, our our lead prospect writer, like has a bit that he does with me calling them. The Dodgers, like throughout the year, it's it's mostly been the most annoying 95 win team in baseball. Um, and it kind of moderates up and down. Uh, it's been as low as I think 92. And now it's a 99, whatever they're on pace for. The bit being like, we know they're good. Like it's it's not, there's never a point at which this was like a bad team, but they, they for as good as they are, they can be really frustrating. Yeah. And that's where my misery comes through. And the other part of it I just need to to tack on is that I really like I don't I don't have anything to say when it's good because like it there's no way of looking good like when your team I mean I I celebrate or whatever but like I sure. don't need to publicly celebrate because it's just right. kind of it can look obnoxious and I try not to be that in I I say that I try to be obnoxious in other capacities but look I I think that you want to when you're being obnoxious it's better to be intentionally obnoxious right yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when things are bad, that's when I, I comment on things that I think could be better. But like, sure. one thing, what, what am I going to say during an 11? They're doing, they're, they're doing everything right. good. I can't really, I can't really complain about it. Yeah. I mean, you, you want, like, you definitely want your favorite team to just win as many games as, as they can. You want them to win against uh, less talented competition, right? It would be heartening to me that, like, the games against Oakland, those were not close games. The game, Some of the games against Colorado were a little bit closer in a way that I imagine you found quite irritating, but um, but not, like, dramatically so. And, you know, I think you, you want to see them win. You want to see them win against teams that are less talented because those wins count, and there's so much value in getting a in getting a first round buy that if you can avoid having to play in that you know in that wild card series i think particularly given some of the pitching vulnerabilities you talked about with LA like there's a lot of value in that i really liked the Lynn move not just because like you know you want if you think that their young guys are are good and i think we all do it's not just that they're like, you know, skipping levels and have only been up. Like they're all going to be pushing up against their innings pitched from previous seasons, right? And so, you know, and 
Kershaw is back, but he is always an injury risk. Like if you can just get reinforcement into that rotation so that you have a guy who's reliably taking the ball, I think that that redounds to the rest of your rotation to their benefit because, you know, then... And, and bullpen, for sure. Right. And, right, yeah. you know, you acquire Lance Lynn so that your Joe Kelly acquisition just maybe doesn't see a lot of time, you know? Like, that's just, like, good... It's just good management right there. So, yeah, like, the Dodgers. I I really wish... I do, I just really do wish that I had had the courage of my convictions when we did our staff predictions, Craig, because I was like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have the the Mets just miss the playoffs and I'll put the Dodgers at the, and I didn't, I didn't do it. I, I mean, I think I picked them to like go to the postseason and I think I picked the Dodgers to, no, I didn't pick them to win the division. I picked the Padres, but like, I wish I had, I wish I'd had some courage. I lacked it. I just pulled mine up. Uh, I, I'm going to. I picked the Cardinals to win the Central, so I feel so did I. really, really strong about that. I also picked the Yankees to win the AL East, so that's that's going very well. I think I did too. I don't remember. It's funny that I don't remember because I talked about these with Ben Clemens on literally Tuesday, but you know that was so long ago. Who could remember such a thing? So you're feeling better about your Dodgers. You're feeling kind of settled. I mean, like that lineup is just stupid. So even That's, with I mean, the lineup has been what's carried them all yeah. season. Yeah. Um, they do. They they are doing this thing uh, with JD Martinez. I don't know how closely you might have followed this or not. Doesn't he have a little like groin pole or hammy pole or something? Isn't he? Hasn't he pulled? It's not a. I don't think it's a pull. He has discomfort. And they don't really know what it is. They gave him an epidural. Oh. I believe when they were in Arizona. They okay. gave him an epidural. And he took some time off, and he seemed to be feeling better. But basically, he feels fine often. And then okay. sometimes when he goes to do things, he feels discomfort. And so he came down with a case of being in his 30s, basically? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, let me tell you how much I identify with yeah. this. With this, uh, but yeah, he goes to like take swings before the game, and and he's like, yeah, no, I can't. Okay. And the Dodgers, I don't, I don't know if you've noticed this. I've talked about it online a couple times, but like, the Dodgers don't seem. They were one of the early like pioneers of manipulating the IL with pitching, and now they seem to just think that the the IL is not real, like. They're not putting him on the... He missed... I think he missed, like, seven days. But they're like, no, we're not going to put him on the IL. We're not going to do that. And it's like, well, it's like a 10-day IL. Right. I was just about to say, so what you're saying is this is like when we used to make fun of the Mets for being like, guys, it's literally a 10-day IL. Just put him on the... Just do it and bring bring up another guy. Yeah, well, exactly. And and I understand the idea is, like, whoever they bring up is probably not really going to play, so it just doesn't matter that much but but it's a lot like the Mets I mean I said this too like the Dodgers they don't get enough flack for they they love to say like yeah he'll probably he might not even need an eye Austin and then it's Clayton Kershaw was like we're gonna see how he feels on his throw day uh and then it was like well he needed a shot 
but he still might throw the last game before the the All Star break, and uh, he'll miss the minimal if he's uh, you know this will just get, if he misses it it's it's like minimal rest you get you get the extra break around the All Star break he'll be right back and then during the All Star break they were like yeah maybe mid late August or, or uh, early mid August and you're like wait, wait a like, minute wait, what, what the f- <laughs> what just happened I mean if they were the, if this was the Mets they'd get murdered you know. But it's out of the Dodgers do that kind of thing. It's very, it's very weird. But yeah, the 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 lineup has just been unbelievable. And I, you know, for the Dodgers pitching staff, that has been kind of the core of what this organization is about. I mean, not just the recent iterations, but going back however long. Like this, this is very much a team that hits and is, is going to try and out hit you. Is basically yeah. what it comes down to. And the guys who are really leading the charge aren't surprising but it is remarkable like a couple of weeks ago i was just like well ronald Acuna jr is just the mvp in the national league and like he is not he can't be really challenged for that and now and i i imagine it's the same with warp but like by our version of war you know him and Betts and Freeman are separated by a tenth of a win each. Like they have the same, they have the same war. This is the same. This is the same, you know, like they all have basically the same war. And the shape of the production is obviously different because Ronald Lincoln Jr. has 55 stolen bases. Man, baseball in 2023 is a lot of fun in some specific ways, you know, like, and that's definitely, that's definitely one of them. I love that Freddie Freeman has more stolen bases than Mookie Betts. That's. I, I think he leads the team. Does he really? Yeah, he does. James Outman has 14. Freddie leads the team with 16. James Outman. What's your James Outman experience been like over the last couple of months? Because it started so hot. It's been a roller coaster. I like him quite a bit. I think it's really interesting what he's done. He started out, like you said, so so aggressively. I mean, there's nine home runs in, in April or something like that. And uh, wow, the, the things my brain holds it because you wouldn't believe what I forget. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, you and me both, but it's like, uh, that would have been useful to retain, but... <laughs> but instead, I've got James Outman, Outman with nine home runs in April. How many hit-by-pitches did Mike Zanino have in 2014? Why can I tell you, you know? Like, what what else could my brain be working on in the background if it didn't have that sitting there rolling around? But anyway, James Outman. Yeah, so he came out obviously like very uh, power and patience kind of oriented and then went through a really heavy adjustment period. It's not quite a grooved swing or it wasn't, but there were very exploitable holes both down and in and then up over the middle or inside. And pitchers just hammered him there. And credit to him and the team really that gave him, you know, they just kept running him out there. Some of it was they didn't really have other options. But they they kept running him out there, and he has really changed his his approach. He's definitely got a, a flatter swing now. He still has the power, more so when he chooses it. Right? It's not the it's not the only it's not only his a swing or whatever. He's definitely hitting for more average. The on base is still there. He's taking some really good at bats, and the power is coming down. He's he's clearly traded power for for contact, uh, and it's kind of getting him to the same place OPS wise. But the shape of it is much different. And I think for their lineup, it was actually a really crucial trade-off to make. Because if you are not striking out like with guys on, you know, his speed, he can pressure defenses. And this all sounds like I'm talking about someone like from before the, the sabermetric revolution about what's important. But I think just given the way the the way their their lineup functions, 
this was actually a really good trade-off to make. And I honestly think the biggest improvement he's made is not even at the plate, but he was kind of a fringy center fielder. And, and that showed up early in the season. And I know the Dodgers announcers have talked about this and on their broadcasts, and there's certainly some bias there, but I, I think you can see it when you watch the games too. He's actually turned into quite a good defensive outfielder out in center field. He's worked a lot with their first base and uh, outfield coach, Clayton McCullough, and he's he's been really good out there. And I think that honestly is is perhaps even more valuable than the changes he's made at the plate, which are, I don't want to say cosmetic, but like like I said, he was still, because of the doubles and home runs and, and the walks, he was still getting to a, a pretty solid OPS, uh, but there was just a lot of strikeouts in the process. And, and now it's fewer strikeouts, but more singles. But again, he can run a little bit. So, you know, that kind of trade-off. I, I think was worthwhile for him. Well, do you have any more Dodgers thoughts? Do I have any more? I mean, I have Austin Barnes. I just need to say this. Austin Barnes. <laughs> did you see this last night? I did not. This Tell is how me. they won. This is how they won their 11th in a row. Meg. Austin Barnes, I think, had their only hit against Corbin Burns. Or no. Uh, yeah, one of their only hits against Corbin Burns. He also then hit a, a home run off of Abner Uribe, who has been okay. very good this year. Yeah. He uh, in a one nothing win. Okay. Austin Barnes. I do Austin you know Barnes. do you know what Austin Barnes's OPS is now? It's been really quite bad. The Dodgers big league catching situation is what we in the biz refer to as a land of contrasts. And uh <laughs> Will Smith is on the the positive end of that contrast and Austin Barnes is decidedly not. Yeah, it's he's got after after the home run, he's got a an eight OPS plus. That seems bad, Craig. You know. <laughs> it's it's been what you'd call a tough year. Uh for, <laughs> for Austin. But uh that was that was, you know, the Austin Barnes game. Uh he's yeah. up to a thirteen WRC plus. I believe he was at one entering yeah. last night. Yeah. Ne- negative one point one more. That's you n- you never want to <laughs> as a uh, negative. Yeah, that's that's kinda you you almost respect it, right? Like you almost respect being able to be worth a, a negative win in 141 plate appearances. Like that that does take a, a, a particular kind of ineptitude at the plate. Oh four oh ISO yeesha mish. Um, I mean that's not good. In a lot of ways, you can call this post deadline run just like the worst players in baseball returning to something. Austin Barnes is not a good hitter, but no. He's never but. been a particularly good hitter. I mean, like, he was good in, like, 2017, but he he's never been. Yeah. yeah, he had one weird He had one weird year, and he was, like, slightly above, above average from a, from a, for his, in terms of his WRC Plus last season. But, like, again, n- not, a, not a standout offensively. So, yeah, I'd like to end my Dodger thoughts on Austin Barnes. Okay. Congrats well, to Austin Barnes. Uh, yeah, because of all the hitters to really highlight, I think it's Austin Barnes, you know. Like he also tried guy. to steal a base. I do need to. Did he really? He and he was going to be out, but then there was uh, it was a ruled a balk. So oh, oh, yeah. well, you know. I wonder, um, Craig. Do you know this off the top of your head? This might be something that I I have to look up. Wait, what? A, where are balk rates relative to normal? For some reason. I feel like they uh, they should be up, you know. I feel like even with guys having clearly adjusted to the pitch clock and whatnot, the 
there's something about the the pickoff rules and the pitch clock. It just feels like we're we're in prime Bach territory, but it feels well, maybe they, like it's stable. They did say they were going to enforce. The yeah, they said that like, hey, more. we really we really mean it, you know. <laughs> We actually mean it. I'm actually going to do it this time. Yeah. And then it seems like it's been pretty, pretty normal. So, well, there you go. Maybe we can use that as a way of transitioning to something different to talk about. Because where do you go from books, but elsewhere? Do you want to talk about a couple of promotions? A couple of big league promotions? Because we've had some. We've had some. Maybe we can start with... Uh, Mason Wynn, because that's going to be a name that people are perhaps more familiar with. But Mason Wynn coming up to reinforce a pretty lousy Cardinals infield. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I did really enjoy uh, Jeffrey, who wrote our, our call-up article on Mason Wynn. Just uh, the situation is like, what what necessitates this? Like, what's going yeah. on? And it just is Taylor Motter and Jose Fermin were the starting infield <laughs> for the Cardinals. It's a good line. That is definitely yeah. a good line. Yeah, like feels like you know, and I, I, I don't mean to to disrespect the man. I'm sure his family loves him. He's like a not unuseful bench player, but I have to imagine that if you were to have asked Cardinals fans at the beginning of the season, like how much Taylor Motter do you anticipate being in your life, that their answer would have been none, zero. We we expect no Motter at all. Like no Motter, zero Motter. And yet there has been, there has been, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say an abundance of modder, but like there's been some, some modder. And I as think, a person who I lived think they part of that said, life. Like, we'd love for the people of Memphis to experience just <laughs> so, much tremendous, so much modder. Yeah. A, t- a tremendous amount of, of modder. And instead, I mean, like he's, he's played in 21 games. Like he, you know, he's got 68 plate appearances. So it's not yeah, like it's he's. Not a ton. It's not a ton, but it's probably still more than they would have guessed. And so as a result of that, Mason Wynn gets to like live his his big big league dreams, at least for a little while. And I guess I would ask you, like, what is your primary impression of Mason Wynn? And is it anything other than him just throwing the ball across the infield at the futures game as hard as one can? That's mine, you know. I was going to say, we're in a uh, a bit of a, or we're going to be, I should say. I, I You know, come 2024 when O'Neill Cruz is healthy, we're going to be in a golden age of people just whipping the ball. Yeah, chucking to it. To first base. Him. Oh, yeah. Ellie, De La Cruz, and yeah. Mason Wynn all throw, like, I, I think I looked it up the other day because I, I was trying to... I was trying to see, like, if they all threw it kind of in the same way, whether it was, like, sidearm or overhand or what they were doing. They all differ. They're all kind of in a different different place. But I think 97 and above for all three of them. I think wins was 100. I think Mason I mean, this is very exciting. I, it's hard to, to say, and like, this is an exciting time to be a Cardinals fan. But if you, if you just imagined that they weren't good the last couple years before this, like... You're getting you're getting Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn up on the big league team. Don't don't look at the pitching staff. Don't look at it. The pitching staff gets upset when you when you notice it. So just don't look at it. But you know, on the lineup front, like you know, there are things to be excited about here. Yeah, I mean, like I I understand the pitching staff's reluctance to be perceived because I feel <laughs> I often am like oh don't. Look at me over here. But yeah, I think that if you are a Cardinals fan, there's a great deal to be excited about. 
both in terms of the guys who, say, have been good and promising this year, and the guys who have struggled, who you expect to look look at their line next year and be like, you know, like Tommy Edmonds probably going to be fine. You know, when it comes down to it, that's that's probably that's probably going to be fine. But you've had, you know, Nolan Gorman really find his way at the plate and Lars Newbar is like their best hitter, which, you know, seems bad in some ways, but is like exciting for him. And he lost his way at the plate very recently. Not not as a productive hitter, but, you know. Yeah, didn't he get he got he got hit in the in the beans, Newt, right? He got newt bars. Yeah, he got yeah. hit in the in his newt bar. And like I don't imagine that we will see Jordan Walker take like a dramatic step forward in terms of his fielding, but I bet that the like the bat will come around in a way that will be meaningful and you know, if you just like you said, don't even like look at just don't even look at the picture pictures. Just like they're not you know, are they in the room with us? No, they're not. Like, just don't even, then it'll be fine. You know, it's going to be fine. It might not be good, but the centrals don't always require that. You know, that's not always the prereq for for getting where you want to go. So, so yeah, I think it's, it is exciting. They're, they have some guys and we're going to get to see what those guys do. Wins throw at the Futures game was like, I don't know if you have this experience of, the stat cast metrics, but sometimes, sometimes you like see, you see a thing happen on the field and then you see the sort of particulars of that thing from stat cast. And you're like, well, yeah, you know, and, and the most obvious example of this is like when they'll be like, Aaron judge hit the ball hex hard. And you're like, well, yeah, it's, it's Aaron judge. Like he, you know, he's given to do that and you can like hear it, you know, you feel it in your chest. It does the whole thing um, that Sam talked about, but Sometimes you will find out a thing about a thing and you'll be like, oh, I didn't realize that that, that had gone so far or it had left the, the bat so fast or, you know, he had thrown it with that much movement. Like, you know, sometimes you just can't tell. And typically you could tell me that a guy had thrown a ball like five miles an hour or, or, or 50 in, on the infield. And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Like those are numbers that might be, apply to that action, right? It's one of those things where I don't have a great, I don't always have a great intuitive sense of how fast, how hard. It's like once it, it passes the threshold of being like zippy, I'm like, that was a zippy throw. And then like, I don't have questions after that. Mason went through the ball at the Futures game, and I was like, I need to know how fast that was. I need to know right now, because that looked really fast. That looked like it went really fast. And and I was, like, up in the ox box, and it looked like it went really fast. So I was like, I need to have this confirmed, because I was – the ox box at, at Dodger Stadium, Craig, it was – it was way up there. We were so high up in left field. And I was like, there are guys down there playing baseball. I can barely see him. But I think that went through the ball really hard. And he sure did. Boy, it went fast. So I don't know if he's going to really hit much, but he um, he sure can can whip it when he's when he's out there. So uh, that's exciting. Mason win. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect him to hit necessarily immediately, uh, but he was doing just fine at triple He was doing a. fine. Doing fine. Yeah, I wouldn't. Ex- yeah, I mean, I think he's gonna be like, like a really valuable seven hitter, in in like a good lineup, which this could be a good lineup. And I think he's, you know, like he's not a, an auto out at the plate or anything like that. 
And this is, I don't, I don't want to do this as a comp, but like, obviously J.P. Crawford has had like a very, his, his, like a very good year this year, hitting wise. But like, they're, I could see some, they're not the same player, but like, in terms of, I, I think J.P. Crawford also rating the, defensively not very good this year, but generally is very good. I, I, I think of him as a good defender. Yeah, I've never seen him. I've never seen him whip the ball like I saw Mason Wynn whip <laughs> no, the ball. No, no, they don't do the but, same things physically. But I think you could kind of approximate that kind of style of or or shape of value, where it's like a, a good defender with an adequate bat. That if if it gets better than adequate, you're talking about a really valuable player. Yeah, I think that that's right. And Craig, he will be maybe the one of the few guys where if they get in a blowout on either side i'm gonna be like put him on the mound do it right put now put him on the mound yeah do it right yeah. now put him up there oh, let's also let's see it meg i just from from our perspective i do think we need to share it. one of the how how often are you messing up spelling this name oh mason well mason and then win i want to spell win with a y oh because so you the wanna... y is in the first name like i'm spelling so you want to spell it like like steve win yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, Steve and Mason are different names, to be clear. I know that. But like the, <laughs> but, the win. No, but it's, it's, I know that there's a Y in the name. Right. Overall. And you're going to put it in and the And so I'm place. like, win, W Y N N. Or like Austin yeah. wins, right? Is, is, uh, right. I think spelled that way. We love to talk about Austin wins on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I mess this up pretty frequently. I'm like, no, that's not it. Got to fix it. Yeah. I will probably get it wrong a couple of times. I, I maintain that the the most irritating spelling thing, like I need all the various Garretts and and <laughs> Jarretts and to 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 sort of normalize the 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 double consonants because I the, get them. This is also the Zach problem, right? Yeah, all of the Zachs. Just get together, take a vote, and decide which you're gonna use because you know and when you're when you're editing like i don't know i don't remember the process um for this at bp because i don't think i was ever in the i don't think i was ever in the cms um but uh you know the linker inflict it on people yeah like the linker will break for us if it's not spelled right yes no no right it is not something i hope that ever makes it to to publication but i mess it up when i'm like typing it myself and yeah. Then I'm like, oh, yeah 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 the i i i get what you mean also there should be a, a win with just the one n like you know embrace <laughs> it and be bold like go out of okay go out of your now own. you're now you're asking it's like the opposite of the garrets and the zacks right yeah i am i'm being unreasonable also people should just spell their names however they spell them and we'll figure that it out is but true. but it is a thing that trips people up. The double consonants, I think a lot of people str- struggle with. Also, how to spell the word minuscule. I see that as a, oh, a very common yeah. It's the U. you. People want, want an I, but it's a U. It's a U. Yeah. Minus yeah. school. Speaking of the Angels' playoff odds. <gasps> wow. You're a professional you. podcaster. That's a great transition. <laughs> the train of very quickly promoted Angels guys uh, continues. And I am going to make you say Nolan's last name because I'm not confident oh. I know how. Oh, I, I I, sure don't. I don't know. For, Meg, I, you see, this bothers me because you are a college baseball I know. and draft 
Like, I'm not going to say fanatic, but you are... No, definitely not. That you, implies a level of expertise that I don't want people to assume so that when I make mistakes, to, they're like Do we need liking. to call in uh, Michael Ben Bauman? <laughs> <laughs> no, me, I don't... He if... would know how to say this, is my point. I don't... Yeah. I, I used to be minor league editor at BP, and I was I followed I the remember. draft more closely. And I I still follow it fairly closely, but, like, I don't, I don't know all the all the players beforehand like i used to i read this name and i i say chanel i think that's right but i i don't profess to know if that's right and if it's wrong i apologize to the the not his family is (laughs) yeah right exactly to the whoever yours yeah i looked up a bunch of stuff about the dodgers and their opponents during their their series i forgot to ping eric about how to say this Ah, bad job, Meg. His middle name is Ryan. I know I was that. About, I, yeah. Good for, good for the baseball family. Yeah. How about that? That's commitment to, and no pressure, you know, at all to like <laughs> reach a certain level of performance. But yeah, he was the Angels first rounder this year. Um, I do know, even though I don't see his name, that he was thought to be sort of one of the more big league ready guys, particularly among the position players and that there was, this has been a trend that they have pursued both among their pitchers and position players in recent years where they've wanted to get guys to the big leagues as soon as possible. Is it so that their player dev guys don't touch them? I mean, who could say? I was going to say, I, it's hard not to read this as like, well, it's not like our player dev is going to make an impact or make a good impact. So why not? Yeah, I mean, they very often have struggled. Let's put it that way. Like, there are just a lot of guys where it hasn't been great uh, and worked out for them. But, like, now Mickey Moniak is good. So, again, yeah. land land of contrasts. I think it's been going less great for him lately. But, like, in general, it's, you know. a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but, like, they they have had successes, and they've had successes with these guys who have – been drafted and then found their way pretty quickly like you know zach netto one of the zacks the most recent example they are let's see by your guys's playoff odds where do the los angeles angels sit because we have them at 0.9 percent odds to to make the postseason so that seems not gonna happen our playoff percentage is two and a half Oh, wow. Very confident. With the adjusted playoff percentage of 1.3. Okay. But I guess that's to, to reach the division series. So I guess that's out of right. the wild card round. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think that this is about them really trying to m- make a run. That would be a wild thing to put on a recently drafted guy to be like, hey, um, can you help us reach the postseason so that maybe Otani doesn't leave? Anyway, what's your middle name again? <laughs> How do you how do you say your last name? How you know I know they know. I knew at one point but I'm I'm not I'm not confident and I don't want to say the wrong thing to you because then it'll be like what I did to Bauman where he like couldn't say Mitch Hanniger's last name correctly for like 2 years because What did you say? Hanniger? Han I think at one point I said Hanniger, right? Like like he was a character from Annie or something. That's not her name either but it's closer. I have a lot of references. That's a good one. People like the musical Annie. They don't find it irritating at all. Anyway, I don't want to say it wrong because I don't want to. Well, I hope I hope he delivers some hard knocks for the angels. Ha <laughs> ha. Yes. Kazinga. Meg, I just listened to a a, a 
a news broadcast, and they said Shanuel. Oh, I think that's right. Okay. So I'm not... I'm going to get a not even close on my Shanuel. <sighs> Shanuel. What are you going to do? You just you do better the next time. That's... That's what you do. That's the way that you, that you address it. Get get better. So he will he will come up. We will see kind of what what he does with big league pitching. As as many have remarked, the timing of his promotion is such that he will like just barely retain rookie eligibility for next season. So that's definitely I imagine part of the calculus for for both of these. Promotions. I would imagine that that has something to do with the specific timing of it. Although, who knows how long Mason Wynn will stay up? Who knows how long Nolan will? <laughs> Not confident. Not confident. I'm going to say it. Right. Um, so that happened. Yeah. Like we said, this particular Angels promotion, I don't think is like a last gasp of let's get Otani to the postseason but we can perhaps use it to transition to some trade deadline related questions because you know the angels famously did not trade otani at the deadline they made that decision the day before our piece about what you would get for him if you traded him was supposed to run so yeah the the dodgers are out to kill you and the angels are maybe out to kill me but you you had some trade deadline timing thoughts and i wanted to give you a, a platform for them that apparently you can't find on your own podcast. So there's been some chatter about moving the trade deadline back. Uh, I feel like much of it happened while we were in Columbus, but I said like it, it was on MLB trade rumors, right? Like that that it's been discussed by the GMs at the G- they don't have the authority to do it, but they've apparently discussed it amongst themselves at the GM meetings. And and I am sympathetic to a point to to the issue, which is that. The league moved the draft back to to time it with the All-Star break. And that makes it really uncomfortable in terms of transitioning uh, a front office's focus from addressing the draft and and preparing fully for that to then pivoting over to the deadline in the span of about two weeks. And certainly there are different groups of scouts or or. At least it used to be that there was more so different groups of scouts for for the draft and and for prep stuff versus guys scouting the pros. But the people who worked on the draft often helped cover prospects afterwards or did kind of uh, major league scouting to, to highlight major league acquisitions. And so all of this gets crunched, right, in, in terms of timeline. And that's some of why we've seen this kind of lack of movement until the very end of the trade deadline this, these last couple of years. The other part being you added to, uh, you added more uh, playoff spots. And so that's just teams have less incentive to, to kind of make a decision. You're still going to have those playoff spots, no matter when you make the draft. Certainly it will alleviate some of the crunch. If you move the draft to mid August or, or to September, you can repurpose some of those scouts and, and, divert them to scouting the minors and the majors and and do things that way. That's all well and good. I, I don't really have a problem with the idea of trying to space it out. I think you're going the wrong direction, though. I think the, the draft and arguably the All-Star break can be moved up. I know they don't really want to move the All-Star break, but it's it's after the halfway point in the season. Why not like move it closer to the halfway point in the season? That would give you a little more 
breathing room. And I know when you and I were kind of talking about what to talk about, you you had another idea about just where to move the draft. Oh, yeah. I I remain of the mind that it's natural. <laughs> that is a resting place. I wouldn't mind getting rid of the draft entirely, but I don't think that's on the table. Um, so we won't make it sound like we're burying it. But like it seems like a, a good natural fit for... Uh, the draft is for them to do it in Omaha during the College World Series, which was on the table yeah. and I think was going to happen prior to the pandemic because the top pick in the draft being a college guy and that college guy playing in the College World Series are not givens in any particular year. But a lot of guys who get taken in the first day, you know, in the first night of the draft are going to be college players. And I think that the the impetus for having the draft and the all-star break correspond with one another was that you have a natural gathering of fans to try to make it into a TV event, right? To have there be energy and a vibe and all this stuff and try to make the MLB draft something more akin to what the NFL does. And, you know, there are a bunch of structural limitations to that sort of goal that we've talked about on this pod before and I think are kind of obvious. But, you know, one group of people who are famously sort of crazy go nuts for uh, college baseball players are college baseball fans and they tend to congregate in Omaha every year. Right. Um, and so are you, you know, assured that the first overall pick is going to be a guy who's like pitching multiple times during the college world series in, in every year? Like, no, you're not. But if the draft had taken place in Omaha this year and, you know, the NCAA had sort of allowed for a bit of flex in the schedule, which I imagine they would have because both the College World Series and the draft are broadcast on ESPN, right? You could have had an extra off day in the schedule. And I bet you would have had, you know, I'm sure Skeens would have gone. I bet a bunch of those guys who were taken on day one would have. I mean, three of the first four right. picks were... Right. In, the, in, in the finals. In the finals. I, so yeah. I think you'd have this like really energetic, excited audience. I think that you would be much more likely to have guys who are going to go high present on the night of the draft, which, you know, it was it was cool when dudes who were there were selected. It's like the like the one of the guys who who was there did not go on day one. But like, you know, it was cool to have them come out and put on the jersey and have people cheer like it was it you know i don't know that it translates to tv the way that say rob manfred wants it to but having been there like it does have an energy to it that is neat and i think you know if i were him i would really want there to be as many reasons for the fans assembled to cheer for me as possible because they sure do delight in booing the commissioner. <laughs> and they they were pretty good. I will say that crowd was pretty good. When he was up there, they would boo. And then when one of these young men would come out, they were so excited for him and cheering and everything. And so... Well, Raul Abanya's got a pop, too. Yeah. And given, yeah. given the location. Boy, that transition was seamless. It was like it was stage managed. <laughs> I was so proud of everyone. I was like, good job, guys. You're doing great. But yeah, I think that it would it would do what they want it to, to do for the draft as an event and particularly as a broadcast event. And it would give front office folks the breather that they had previously enjoyed, you know, the 
break was for a lot of people an opportunity to like actually have a little bit of time off before you get into the sprint of the deadline and then the stretch run. And so I do think that there is a meaningful difference from a quality of life perspective for folks who work in baseball. And this isn't just me being like, please, dear God, let me have a single day off in the month of no, July. No, right it's, it's really more the people at the, you know, in, in organizations. Yeah, because I it's it's a slog to have to go from one to the other. And they're doing, you know, so much work around this stuff. And to your point, like, even w- when you have discrete you know, pro and amateur staffs, like they're helping a lot of the time and front office folks are going to, depending on what their responsibilities are, potentially have coverage of both events. So I think it would make a lot more sense to move it back to where where well, we I, were. I, I thought I saw a headline about some some level of interest in the college ranks of making baseball more of a summer sport than I, did you see that? I didn't or? see that. Was that when we were? Was that when we were in Columbus? Was, I, I think in we... the last couple days, I, oh, I thought. Okay. Um, but like, like, can we talk about Columbus? Like, they don't have internet there. <laughs> we were just busy enjoying people, you know. But like, if there's interest in that, if that's like now your whole thing in terms of avoiding the timing of of lining up with the college season or whatever right. like that's that that's potentially gone anyway i think you to your, to your point like you just need to do this when you can do it and it should be earlier i think whether you want to move up the all-star break which i think is very very unlikely i don't think they want to move yeah up, that but, doesn't seem like it's gonna happen but but i th- i think timing it with the with with the college world series where it is right now is absolutely what it's it's at the middle mid late june Right. Um, yeah. Like that's great timing. You could even do it the day after the 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 last possible game at the College World Series, right? Like people yeah. might hang around Omaha for that, and and yep. all that. I've also I need to say like they really want the draft to happen, like you're saying, like the NBA draft, yeah. or the the NFL draft. The futures game is baseball's draft, and they keep right burying it, and it drives me yes. nuts. So I'm yes. just I'm just gonna say that the other part of my rant about moving the deadline. Is while I am sympathetic and I have thus far, this thus far focus on my sympathy for the front offices. The, now he's going to bury them. The twelve team playoffs mean that you're not. I mean, like the Diamondbacks have lost like all but well it had they've won a few in a row, but they had lost like you know all but two games at one point right. outside of you know after the deadline. The Angels had lost a ton. Yeah, some teams get clarity, but the Diamondbacks are still a game and a half out or something like right. that. Like, yeah. there's not really more clarity for them. Right. And also, you run a baseball team. You get, you, this is, this is why you get paid the big bucks to make big boy and big girl decisions and say, yeah. like, you know, here's where we're sitting. This is a tough call. That's your job. Yeah. Okay. Like, this is, it, it just, it, it makes me so mad. It's, it's the, the same thing. Like, I understand, I understand the rationale behind the hardcore strip down to the studs rebuild, right? What sure. the Orioles did. We're seeing it pay off in spades for the Orioles. I'm not going to yeah. try and tell you it didn't work. But right. what bothers me is like, like Mike Elias, you went to Yale 
you're like at the top of your profession, you're highly respected and you're doing the most obvious way to rebuild possible. Like, like if you're good at what you do, shouldn't you be able to like not be a 55 win team and still turn your team into a good organization, like make this a good organization and make this a good team. Like that, that's what bothers, like you get, there's, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of money in, in many positions in, in the baseball uh, industry, but there is at the top, and you get right. paid a pretty good amount to do it. Like, right. then do it. Like, don't don't do the like the most basic, obvious option out there, and yeah. and do the one that actually involves like competing. The one that's hard, yeah. right? The one that that has a little bit of difficulty to prove your metal. And and the same thing for this trade deadline thing. Don't make a decision in mid August. Like, you know, if you push the trade deadline back to September, you're just delaying. Right. Look, and I love procrastination. But I'm just the guy who runs a website. Like you run, you run a baseball organization. Like make a call, either go for it or don't. Stand by your convictions, or you know, even be honest and say, "Look, this is a tight one, but this is why we went with what we did, and right. and we have a conviction in it, and we're going to be better next year, and whatever." You know, to Elias's credit, I didn't like the move, but he did it last year with right. you know three games out, and he said, "We're going to be better in 2024, and this is for the future." And that's he was right. They're better in 20. I mean, 2023. Sorry. Yeah. And he was right. They're better in it. And and at least, you know, there's there's some conviction in what you're doing there. Right. And I just I I it drives me nuts that of course these guys want more time to make right. a decision. But like step up and 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 make a make a call. You know, that's August is pretty late. And I also have to say, like, you're not gonna get shit back for a month of these guys. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I think that in all likelihood, and and we've seen exceptions to this, right? We've seen some big names move at what was the waiver deadline. But in general, I think the profile of player in both directions would probably be somewhat diminished by it taking longer um, because you just get them for less time. You know, there's less time for them to be impactful for your club. Now, I do think that it would inspire some teams to like say, screw it, we're going to try to m- make moves earlier so that we can enjoy these guys for longer. But if the impetus for moving it around is, you know, we need to be able to staff this in a more comprehensible, reasonable way, the answer seems obvious that it's moving the draft back to what it was rather than extending the deadline deeper into the summer. So, I would tend to agree with you, Craig. Um, it pains me to say, but I think you're right. <laughs> Not a good look for anybody. Yeah, terrible for everyone involved. Well, I want to do a couple of quick emails, just a few, and then uh, we'll do our, our future blast and then let you go and enjoy your weekend. So uh, among our emails, we're going to start with this one, first from Patreon supporter Joseph, who asks, I was listening to the Braves radio broadcast of the first game of their doubleheader with the Mets yesterday, and the Braves had taken an 8-0 lead in the sixth inning. When Peter Moylan noted that when a score gets that lopsided, the high leverage relievers start to mentally check out and the low leverage ones start to mentally check in. This got me wondering about possible negative consequences to this checking out. Like if the Mets made a comeback such that Rossiello Iglesias had to mentally check back in to come in to 
to the ninth and save an 8-7 game, which, to be clear, he really did not have to do, would he be a worse version of himself compared to if the game had always been close and he had never never mentally checked out to begin with? If so, I wonder if that speaks in favor of keeping the bullpen in the dark about the state of the game until they come in. If Iglesias had never known the game was 8-0, he never would have checked out and would have been like coming into any other close game. Do you all think there's any potential benefit to keeping relievers in the dark like this? I do, just so you know, Craig, I know you're you're busy. You you don't listen to the pod actively. This is very typical of our listener emails, which are wonderful, and say some variation of, what if we made big league players either worse or like they're on Naked and Afraid? You know, it's like a vibe that we often have in ours. So what do you think of this idea of keeping, first of all, do you think it would make a difference? And if it does, should they be sort of sequestered, I guess, for lack of a better word, until they have to come in and go, oh boy, there are a bunch of guys on base. <laughs> I think um, I think maybe it doesn't go far enough. Oh, I, I think. Uh, did you did you watch How I Met Your Mother at any point? I did not. Okay, there's an episode in which one of the characters trying not to. They had to miss the uh, Super Bowl for okay. a funeral, and so they try not to learn what happened in the Super Bowl, record it, and watch it the next day. Okay. Uh, and to accomplish this, one of them uses creates and uses what he calls the sem- sensory deprivator five thousand. Okay. <laughs> And I think that's what we need to put on relievers. And I think they should have to wear it in in the game. I don't oh. <laughs> because you can't you can't let them come in and know this. I mean, I think if if we're gonna take this idea to its perhaps illogical endpoint, which is the purpose of our emails, yes, yeah, you you can't let them observe the score when they come in. I mean, if you want them optimally performing. Right. They have to they have to be in a state, a mental state where they assume this is their most like important situation possible. Right. That they need to execute perfectly. Yeah. And in that case, like you can't let Rizella Iglesias come in at eight to six. No, no. Like he's you just you can't let him see the score. You can't let him see if there are other base runners. He's just got to go up there completely. He should have been in a sensory deprivation chamber, then transported. This is why we have bullpen carts now. They're going to transport the sensory deprivation chamber out to the mound. He's going to come out. You're going to strap on something that that blocks most of his vision. He could just give him tunnel vision to the plate. And uh, I think that's, I yeah, no. I think earnestly, this is just how humans are. Like, yeah. And and I do think we've seen, you know, there are times someone's been, I mean, they do all the studies about closers pitching in non-closing situations, right? Sure. And and struggling a little bit. They don't get the adrenaline rush that they they otherwise do. We've seen situations where teams make this big comeback and then they go to the closer and the closer like isn't quite as sharp because they weren't following the ideal path for them to be as optimally sharp as as they would be. And there, you know, things were a little rushed or, you know, whatever. These things kind of spiral. And I think one of the reasons they spiral is because of this kind of mental state thing. But I don't I don't think there's any way you can avoid this, right? Like at some point, whether they're warming up in the mound, right? When the, let's say you keep them, you know, unaware, but then they have to warm up on the bullpen mound, like they're gonna, they're gonna see it. Like they're going to see this this game situation, so I don't think there's really anything you can actually do about it. But I do think, I mean, certainly Peter Moylan would know, but I do think it it stands to reason that this is 
this is actually a thing that really happens. Yeah, I I mean, I think that that's right. I do like the idea of being like, you have you have blinders on, and it's like, how many stolen bases would Ronald Acuna <laughs> Jr. have? Well, they made stolen. We want more stolen bases, right? I, I mean, mean, sure, yeah, we we do. I don't know if we want them one quite this way, but we do want them. That is true. It would certainly make Fernando Tatis' steal of home less special. Yeah, and we don't want to diminish that. That would be terrible. Yeah, yeah. that would. Be I, sad. I was wrong. Let's not let's not deprive okay. them of their senses. Let's not let's not do it. Okay. Well, this one this one is trade deadline related, so maybe I should have led with it, but I'm going to I'm going to do it now. This comes from Patreon supporter Jaunty. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Let's say that just before the 2023 trade deadline, Shohei Otani made the following declaration that he would in the upcoming offseason sign a 10-year contract for the league minimum salary with whatever team won the 2023 World Series, setting aside concerns for his and his agent's well-being and safety. <laughs> would this have appreciably changed any team's approach to the 2023 trade deadline. What about if the same declaration were made prior to the start of the 2023 season? Presumably, most contending teams are already attempting to maximize their chances of winning the World Series. But would there be some teams around the margins that would really go for it? Would the potential reward be enough to push a team to try a weird, high-risk strategy? Would some teams throw service time manipulation to the wind and call up their great prospects? Mm. You know whose strategy I think this would most uh, meaningfully have changed if it were announced preseason? It might have been your Los Angeles Dodgers, Craig. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think the Dodgers would have been like, let's spend the coin now because we're not going to have to spend it later if he's signing for the minimum. You know, blow it out. Who cares what our luxury tax threshold penalties are this year we're getting otani for like 700k for the next 10 years let's go i think that i think that the dodgers would have been like okay let's do it as weird as it sounds like maybe the Mets. i mean like i know they already kind of did it but like yeah. maybe the mets would have just yeah. done more, more. <laughs> I, I i don't know that it would have worked but it would have been like adam driver in star wars <laughs> i i think um you know they ask like would teams like appreciably change your approach. And I think the answer is like, yes. And also most of them now it might not actually bear out for most of them. Cause like, let's say, I mean like, you know, Ken Kendrick is cheap, but like, let's say Arizona was like, we need, we need to go nuts here. Like their version of nuts is different than the Mets and the Dodgers and Yankees. I mean, the Yankees probably would change quite a bit. Right. I mean, like I, I think it would change a lot, even just at the deadline. There were so many teams on the fringes that if they just got in, I mean, I, if you're the Reds, I, it blew my mind that the Reds only picked up Sam Mole at the deadline. But like, if if you're Cincinnati and you have the opportunity to poten- potentially have Shohei Otani at a league minimum contract for ten years, uh, don't you have to go absolutely insane? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think you can make the argument that pretty much. Every team should have been really trying meaningfully harder, both at the deadline and because, pre- like, him at that contract. First of yeah. all, the players' association would be like, no, <laughs> no, 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 you're not doing that. Like, we're going to decertify you. You don't get to do that. I wonder what the commissioner's office would say if Otani made that declaration. He'd be like, look, I support player autonomy Just, and I want them to have what they want. The commissioner so, was sorry. quoted as squealing and clapping his hands. <laughs> well, we'd get more we'd get more Manfred photos. He'd be oh, like, ah. boy. You and I are the only people, not the only people, but we are among the like 10 people who care 
as much as we do about how few pictures there are of Rob Manfred and just walking across the parking lot in Florida. And then he walked back, you know, they got him again and walked (laughs) back the other way. I think that, you know, there are a number of teams like, I don't know how deep the commitment to cheapness goes, but like you would, you would expect that the Orioles probably would have had a, taken a different tact. We might've seen the Mariners take a different tact. Now, if everyone is suddenly trying much harder to sign marquee free agents, like not everyone's going to be able to do that. And I think there probably does come a time and a a price point at which they say no, because we already, without this very rational, completely plausible incentive, like we already saw free agent contracts this last offseason be pretty rich. So so, so here's my question here. Do the Giants back out of the Carlos Correa deal? Oh, what a good question. (sighs) I don't know. I think the Mets absolutely don't. I think you're right about that. I think you're right. I think that the, I think the Giants might still have said, and I look, I don't want to, you know, he's had such a crummy season and I don't know that that's because of what they saw on the medical. They did come away looking better for having, had a second team say yikes but i don't know i don't know if they would have been like well let's risk it because it was still a very hefty contract but i bet the mets would have gone eh let's screw it like sure you know we'll keep you and your leg around we ran so many carlos correa signing reacts craig i had forgotten how (laughs) many there were at some point ben was like i can't write another one of these he has to stay a twin like if there is one more someone else has to do it (laughs) But I think, but I think also, like Aaron Judge makes like fifty million more dollars, right? Yes, you know, I, I like that. That to me is absolutely one consequence. I, as for the, like throwing service time manipulation to the wind, I don't want to say service time manipulation isn't happening. We're about to see a wave of call ups, I think, because of today being the day that teams can retain their chance at draft picks next year and and whatever. But to my great surprise these incentives do seem to be helping quite a bit. So I don't think there's as much of that as as we kind of ran into previously. And I think that, you know, looking at the guys who, like, uh, I, I still think that this year's most egregious bit of, like, kind of messing around with service is probably Yuri Perez, right? Because the way that he was demoted and then called back up, like, he's probably going to narrowly avoid Super 2. Like, that's probably the most obvious one where it feels like something was was motivating it other than the the understandable concern about Given how many that innings they, this guy they were in a playoff spot. I mean like right. they right. need to win games and they had like a right. negative run differential. Yeah, that one's a tough one to swallow. And like and I to be clear, like I do think that in that particular case we don't need to get too far afield with this, but like I think that there is a legitimate concern about like how many innings that guy can throw, um, just based on how many he has thrown so far. And you can address that concern with him on the 26-man roster. Correct. So, you know, you know, like, I was like, we're, we, we know you can, you know, you can do both, right? You can do both (laughs) things. Like the, the concern is very legitimate. I think it is a thing that you have to actively and carefully manage. And I would rather see a team be overly cautious than like throw caution to the wind. And it's like, then this guy, I don't know that he would have blown out, but like, but Ryan Yarborough was freely available, okay? Yeah. Like, just, if you want to piggy, you know, three innings right. of Yuri Perez and, and throw Ryan Yarborough. Like, sure. 
it's fine. Like, yeah. You know. I need Ryan Yarbrough to be a brewer because I think that if he is in the state of Wisconsin, he'll get a cheese named after him. He'll definitely oh, that's get a true. cheese. That's that's the goal. Like, how is Yarbrough not a kind of cheese? Doesn't it sound like a kind of cheese? Well, it's a lot like Jarlsberg. Right. Already. Yeah. Yeah. But it needs to be an actual that would be cheese. Good. Yeah. He, would, he would fit them too. That's like a, a Chris yeah. Capuano homage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that that would be see, like you're you're like there's a good legitimate thing here, and I'm like cheese though. What if we made it <laughs> like cheese, Craig? Okay, we have one more very silly yeah. email that I want to answer. It feels slightly futuristic to me, which is why I am going to have it precede the future blast. So this is Patreon supporter Andrew asking. Hello, Ben and Meg. I'm sure he'll be very happy to have you answer the question too, Craig. Don't worry. What if our sentient baseball friends made contact with an alien civilization? Furthermore, the baseballs were able to communicate with Ha-Sung Kim, and they told Ha-Sung that the aliens had threatened to blow up Earth if the Padres played over 500 this season. The threat must also be kept a secret. Two questions. Knowing that they can't tell anyone about the possible end of the world, how long could the Padres and how many Padres would be in on it keep their secret that they save the world by playing under expectations? And secondly, is this explanation any more reasonable than any of the others that address why the Padres have been so unlucky in one run and extra innings games? And we are recording on August 12th. We received this email earlier than that. Um, We're recording but- the 18th. It was it was uh, received earlier. Yes, this was sent on the twelfth. We are recording on the eighteenth. I know what direction time goes, <laughs> and as we are recording today, San Diego is six and nineteen in one run games, and they still have not won an extra innings contest this year. I did is, not know that. Isn't I, that wild? That's insane. It's insane, and like they have they lost Craig Craig. They lost an extra innings game. In cores with the bases loaded, yeah, and s- oh, did not score. And they I was lost watching that, game. that. No, that was one of the most insane tenth innings I've ever seen in my yes. life. Because the runner on second starts, and Juan Soto is hitting. So I think Tatis is on second, and Juan Soto is hitting, and he does a weird like bunt move that was successful. So now it's, but I'm like, you're Juan Soto, and this is Coors Field, and it's the Rockies bullpen. So, but you bunted, and I'm like, well, that's, I I legitimately thought in that moment, like, that was weird, but it's first and third, and now Manny Machado's up. So, like, we're probably okay. Manny Machado, I forget exactly what he did, but but basically, he gets on base. I don't know if it was an infield hit or, or walk or hit by pitch or something, but he ends up on first base. Base is loaded. No out. And they, it, oh, God, I don't, now I'm not remembering every single, but, like, they line out twice, I think. Yeah. I think that's right. It was And then oh my god. Shocking. Just absolutely nuts. Yeah, it was shocking. Absolutely nuts. I what I would say to this this prompt, this premise that we have here is Hassan Kim not doing his part in protecting protecting all of us. This is an excellent point. He it, they picked the wrong guy. He does not yeah. care about the future of humanity. Yeah, which, you know, I don't know him personally, but he he doesn't seem, like, particularly misanthropic to me, but... <laughs> no! Yeah, like, he he is having just a, a great he's so season good. for them. He's yeah, so he's good. like, yeah. for us, he's a four, four, almost four and a half win player, you know? He's a 128 WRC+. Yeah, baseball reference has him at 5.7 wins right wow. now. Wow. Wow. 
man, I guess TRS must love his defense. I mean, we like his defense, but like that's that's a lot. That's a lot of wins. Yeah, it, it it's it's pretty remarkable. Uh, we so it's hard to our warp is on a different scale. Like you you and and baseball reference have him. Uh, they that you guys have the same warp like baseline or like overall amount of of war. Uh, and warp is not on that, so we have him at two point three wins, which is which is good, but it's it's not as it's also a little bit different compared to like what actually happened versus deserved and and whatever. But he's having a tremendous season, and he's he's not helping us out. Is is the broader point here? Yeah, I'd say I'd say a lot of credit to the bottom and and back of the Padres lineup. You yeah, know, shout out Matt Carpenter. Yeah, uh, shout out Nelson Cruz. Who we know to be a, a legitimate like humanitarian, and so that's true. That's maybe true. this makes his Great season point. make sense. <laughs> you know, like I I know that that guy is like very active back in the DR and. He's he's a great mentor to younger players. Seems to really care about treating rookies well. So uh, it's not a re- it's not a true story, but it is more plausible than I originally gave it credit for. I think it's yeah, my takeaway from this. Also, like I, in terms of the comparison about their one run and extra inning games, I mean, like that is. I know every team has some bad luck in this, sure. but for as good a team as this is. I yes. would be interested. I know. I think it was Michael Ben Bauman um, who wrote about bullpens. He wrote about the Marlins and yes, who the Orioles. And he also it wasn't in the title, but it, he also mentioned Milwaukee. Yes, and I had actually been talking like maybe a week, ten days ago, with Robert Orr, a writer on our site, about Milwaukee's bullpen and and kind of how like. They're known for creating these very good bullpens. And like this year, their bullpen is not so great, except yeah. if you only look at their top four. Right. And then they're freaking incredible. And I don't know if people realize that, that it's not just Devin uh, Williams. It's it's Joel Piams has a sub two ERA. I think I mentioned Abner Uribe earlier. He yeah, has, he's it's been only great. 15 innings, but he's been great. Yeah. Uh, Bryce Wilson, you know, for a guy who's thrown almost 60 innings, he he eats a lot of innings. Like, he's got a 3-3 ERA. Ho- Hobie Milner has been good. Like, these are not, like, names anyone actually cares about. But right. they have been really good. And then they have, like, the other guys who throw innings and are, you know, really struggle. And right. I I just, I wonder where San Diego falls into that. I feel like they're, they might be the opposite, where it's like, yeah. I, obviously, Josh Hader has been incredible. But yeah, he has been, he has bounced back quite nicely. Yeah. And, and I know, like, I, I, at various points, I know Steven Wilson was having a nice season. Maybe he tailed mm-hmm. off, but like, Brent Honeywell started off really well. They had to DFA him. Like, now he, uh, now he plays for the White Sox. So, yeah. <laughs> tells you what you, and, you know. And like it just seems like they're maybe the opposite of the of the Brewers, where like overall they're kind of okay, and then like outside of Hater in crunch yeah. time, like I don't know what their WPA kind of aspect is, which I think is how how Michael looked at it. But like, yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, and right now they like I'm looking like Tom Cosgrove and Pedro Avila have been incredible, but like they're Tom Cosgrove and Pedro. Yeah, Avila. I don't know. Yeah. It's, not, it's maybe not what you want. Well, and like in in crucial situations, like if, if they haven't been there a ton, I don't know. I, I it's just a, I I just wonder if they kind of have a reverse Milwaukee situation or or Miami or Baltimore kind of thing happening. So 
I think I think credit to the the DHs in San Diego and and yeah. the non-hater bullpen. Yeah, I think that that's right. I think that that's right. Well, hopefully um they can avert disaster for longer. I mean, like how long would you wait to tell anyone about this? Oh, I think I think you would sound uh um maybe a little unhinged and so mm. I think you you have to you maybe have to hold on to it until we have more persuasive congressional hearings. And then people, be, they can be like, look, you know, they just blew your mind with the existence of aliens. But let me tell you something else that's even crazier. You could do a, you could do a real uh, podcast circuit with that story, I think. I, I feel like, uh, you know, those, those Scully uh, and uh, Mulder and Scully, like Twitter prompts where it's like, yeah, you ever hear about the knife alien? Or whatever right. is like the popular. It's like, yeah, you ever hear about the baseball terrorists uh, alien or whatever? Like, I, I think we'd have to workshop the name of the yeah, aliens well, in that case. Like we need the writer sure. strike to be over so that we can get a room together and like come up yeah, with something. I'm, I'm no threat here, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to come to you for scabbing on the, uh, on the writer strike, Craig? No, I don't think so. I don't Chris think Carter's so. like, yeah, we don't, we don't uh, well, solid he- because of my solid, my known solidarity, Meg. Right? Not yeah, because of you're, a talent you're a pro, gap. You're a pro union guy. We know. Yeah, we exactly. know how it goes. But yeah, I, I think uh, <laughs> you ever hear the night alien? But I want to do him with like a, like a thick Jersey accent, like I'm a cop who's about to retire. You ever heard of the night alien? I'm trying to get that guy. Well, that's for how years. it should be. Yeah. What are, I was imagining how- like a little annoyed too. Like, oh, yeah, he's definitely a little annoyed and, like, super horny. That's the two, like, oh, vibes that David Duchovny gives. Yeah. yeah, he's, I mean, like, I know that he's had some issues as a person, but, like, the character is canonically horny. Like, I think that, that that's acknowledged at this point. Ben's going to be so excited when he listens to this. He's like, oh, they're talking about the X-Files. Oh, no. <laughs> not, not how you think, sir. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't give him guff because... Ben has decided that we're we're a, a kind of horny show now. Like that's oh, no. that's part of our canon, also not with each other to be clear, but like you know, <laughs> no. just like toward baseball and other uh-huh. things. Okay, it's well, mostly him you, and Otani. Did you see uh, Oral Hershiser's comment the other day? I know I, I posted incredible transition. Thank you for Thank that you. name coming right after horny. Well, do you, um, did you hear what he said? No, what did he say? What did he say? It's like shag- shagging is a, a multiple person. Uh, experience. <laughs> There's like always multiple people involved in shagging. <laughs> look it up, but it it was it was really quite good. Um, That's fantastic. And he just said you know, it on a like, broadcast with no no shagging is a group activity. Did uh, is, did Joe Davis is, manage to keep it together? Joe Davis, yeah, Joe Davis did not break. And I I will also add via that I I posted this on Twitter and Sam uh, Schultz replied. Uh, because he he continued on with some some entendre um, oh, oh, and said, great. when a guy is shagging with the intensity that he wants to at a game level, uh, at game level speed, everybody clears out. <laughs> <laughs> he just... Uh, <laughs> Delightful. What a... It was, this, that was about James Outman's uh, defensive improvements. To bring That's fantastic. Of all the things, yeah. of all the things to have it be about, I would struggle to to keep it together on broadcast. <laughs> I think I know that about myself because I've I've had laugh fits on on this show before. 
So I can only imagine. And then I'd feel pressure to not laugh, and that would make me want to laugh harder. So, you know, it would be a real... Yeah, I think the best I could do is just stare at him without commenting. Right. <laughs> right. Just, just keeps talking. Like, ah. Hoping and, and and then you know hope that you get to do like a full halpert to the broadcast camera, <laughs> you know. Just be like, oh, I don't know, oral. <laughs> well, on that um, delightful note, um, we should uh, do the future blast because we have a delightful one. Not not especially horny, but this future blast comes to you from 2048 and comes to you as always from. Rick Wilbur. Rick Wilbur is an award-winning writer, editor, and college professor, and has been described as the dean of science fiction baseball. And here we have the future blast. A highlight of the 2048 Major League season was the appearance of all three McLeod brothers playing for the American League in the All-Star Game held in Louisville's Apple Field. It was the first time three brothers have had played together for their league in the All-Star game that all three were starters added to the sense of baseball history in the making. Jalen McLeod, leading the league in home runs and runs scored at the break, started in right field. His brother, pitching ace Kenton McLeod, was the AL starter and threw two scoreless innings. The third brother, Jonathan McLeod, played started in center field. Rather, The historic moment of the first pitch of the game by one brother had led to a fly ball to center that was caught by another brother who then tossed the ball to yet another brother in right and was captured live by old-school television and streaming, as well as by the Be There systems that all three brothers wore for the All-Star game. A global audience of nearly 30 million watched the game and cheered for their favorite players, from the McLeod brothers to designated runner Lauren Fields and others. Fields made her first appearance as an All-Star and, and twice stole second and then scored on base hits. In the sixth inning, Mika Sharjan Jr. became the first Finn to play in an All-Star game when he came to play second base in the sixth inning, as did Kevin Ngundanikal from Thailand, who came in at short. Baseball was showing off how international the game had become. Ngundanikal was just the second player with roots in Thailand to play in the big leagues, the first with Johnny Damon, who played for a number of teams from 1995 to 2012. Damon's mother was Thai, and Damon briefly played for Thailand's national team. Meanwhile, MLB continued to investigate Be There systems for privacy concerns and other issues, including probable deepfake hacking intrusions into the Be There system. Despite the success of the All-Star Game coverage, most players closed their accounts. And that is The View from 2048. Craig, thank you so wow. much for joining me. I appreciate it so much. What would you like to plug at Baseball Prospectus? Uh, just honestly, baseball prospectus. Uh, just the web, the, the website itself. It is uh, we are subscriber based. That is how we survive. It is how we grow. And uh, if we want to keep uh, doing cool things and getting everything up to speed and all of that kind of stuff, we need subscribers. I think our content yep. is very much worth it uh, right now. I agree. An annual subscription is forty five ninety five, so that's it's under four dollars a month. It really, it really, really, really is a steal. So if you've been thinking about it, please uh, do it. I will also tell people if you see an article, you are not a subscriber, and you see an article that you would like to read, uh, please just let me know. I will probably just put it in front of the paywall for you, and you can check it out, and then you can oh, hopefully decide guy. to subscribe. We're we're not especially picky about that, but we put things behind a paywall because people. Uh, that's that's how that's how it works for for us as a company. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's it. Uh, we are we are gearing up for the annual, so that'll be coming, but it won't be for cool. a long time. So yeah, it's it's August, and we get to say that, Meg. I I am I'm loving it, is what I'm gonna say. 
Yeah, I know that it is uh, a truly tremendous amount of work to put together, but it is uh, a really indispensable resource for people as they're uh, approaching the coming season. And the fact that you have to start in August um, perhaps can help folks understand the the breadth and depth of it. So check that out. Would you like to plug your podcast? Sure. I do a generally twice-weekly podcast, Five and Dive, uh, with Jeffrey Paternoster, who I mentioned, and also our author and editor, Patrick Dubuque, one of my favorite people in the world, uh, and who I know you know quite well as well. Yep. And we do that usually Mondays and Thursdays, and it comes out like Tuesdays and Fridays. Um, so check that out. That is completely free. Feel free to, you know, get a, get a sense of it. We've been playing a lot of games on our cool. podcast, Meg. We've been doing... You've been doing, doing a some lot of games. games. Have you been doing yeah. doing like like drafts or or other kinds of games? Uh, no, like I, you know, drafting is that's that's really Ben Ben's thing. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to take Ben's thing. Um, you can draft. Done, it would be fine. We wouldn't be mad about it. You know. We've done a live Immaculate Grid, and not and not oh. Immaculate Grid itself. Patrick has created one. He did one for me, and one of the categories was has a mustache. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, that, that was, seems. Like a lot of guys. Uh, well, you have to you remember how I knew James Outman had nine home runs in April, but I forget other obvious things. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, it was. I was like, did this guy have a mustache? And also, like, when he was on that team, did he right, have it did on have that it? team? Yeah, I don't know. So that Tricky. was it. Uh, we do something uh, that Jeff has named Octavio's game, which is a okay. uh, apparently it is. Uh, there's something called uh, I think Luke's game from. A podcast called the football ramble but it's okay. basically patrick and i bid on how many teams we can uh play we can name that someone played for oh sure so yeah, like yeah. rich hill has played for 13 teams how yes. how many do you think you can name and so then you bid against each other and then you have to do it got um, it we and there's a variety jeff they, they tore, i'm not good at any of them meg and they yeah. keep coming up with new ones and yeah it's not going well for me well, I was I was always bad at the annual drinking game. Um, yeah, and... that is one game I can do, and we don't do that. We have not. I mean, we do that for the annual, but not, yeah, you not have other. to save that for special occasions. But yeah, I know how it feels to not. I mean, our listeners know the the sort of flop sweat that I go into when we do our drafts, and then when I prep, I only do marginally less sweating. So. I, I'm sympathetic. And then where where should the people find and follow you on social media? I'm at CD Goldstein on Twitter. I'm not calling it X. Um, yeah, stupid. And I'm I'm also at cdgoldstein.baseballperspectives.com on Blue Sky, where which yeah. I have been using more often, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And you and you insist on calling it Blue Sky and not Blue Ski. Not Blue Ski. Um, yeah. Well, I like Blue Ski. I just forget. Yeah, I know that um, people don't find that joke funny anymore, um, but I still find it delightful. So, yeah, I tell people that it's Blueski. Uh, we'll see everyone over there. Craig, once again, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, we'll we'll see you next time. <laughs> Despite my intro, this will not be your final appearance on Effectively <laughs> thank, thank you for having me. That'll do it for today. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Craig Goldstein for joining me. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up to help keep the podcast humming along and ad-free. Peter B., Alex Busey, Cal Pringle, Ron Jolly, and Yo-Yo. Thanks so much. 
Your Patreon membership also comes with a variety of perks, including monthly bonus episodes, access to the Effectively Wild Discord group and our playoff streams, as well as discounts on merchandise and complimentary Fangraphs memberships. You might even get to come on an episode with me and Ben. It all depends on your level of support, but rest assured that any level of support is greatly appreciated. You can check out all the perks and offerings on Patreon.com. You can also join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Keep your questions and comments for me and Ben coming via email at podcast at Fangraphs.com or via the Patreon messaging system if you're already a supporter. And if you're musically inclined, we're still on the hunt for theme songs, so be sure to send those along too. Thanks to Shane McKeon for his production and editing assistance. Ben and I will both be back with another episode next week. Until then, be well and enjoy baseball. If baseball were different, how different would it be? And if this thought haunts your dreams, well, stick around and see what Ben and Meg have to say philosophically and pedantically. It's effectively wild. Effectively!